Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 29 as we continue our study through the first book of the Bible. I, I, I checked out um, one site this week and it showed listed all the allusions or direct references to Genesis in the New Testament. How many you think that might be? 200 times. 200 times Genesis is either alluded to or directly referred to in the New Testament. So here's a book we've got to understand if we're going to understand Scripture. So we've seen the creation, we've seen the fall, we've seen the flood, we've, we considered the Tower of Babel. Then we started following the patriarchs, uh, Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob, Abraham and Sarah, we followed them, and Isaac and Rebekah last time, and, and today we, we begin to follow Jacob on his journey and how God works in, in his life. These are the patriarchs of Israel. Often in Scripture, God is referred to as what? The, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And today we're going to check out Jacob. As he leaves Canaan, remember he's a fugitive. There's tension in the family. There was scheming between uh, Jacob and his brother Esau. There was scheming between uh, Rebekah and Isaac. And uh, it became a mess. He stole uh, Esau's birthright. He stole Esau's blessing. And now he's got to run as a fugitive for his life because Esau has one intent. As soon as Isaac dies, Jacob's dead. So they get Jacob out of there, and what he does is he leaves uh, Beersheba, this area right here, just um, west of the Dead Sea. And the first night, he travels to a town called Luz, L-U-Z. And there he meets with God. He, he puts a rock under his head. He's by himself. He's penniless. He had to leave without his father's inheritance. He's on his own. This man who li liked to live among the tents, among people, now he's on his own. Sleeps on this rock, and that night God appears to him in a dream and says, I am with you. I'm your God. I'm with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. Uh, I'm going to give you great descendants, as many as a dust on the ground. And Jacob responds to him in this way in chapter 28, <clears throat> verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, God, if you're going to be with me, if you'll watch over me on, on this journey I'm, I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return, I return safely to my father's house and then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set as a pillar will be, will be God's house and all that you give me I will give you a tenth. So I'm going to give back to you all that, the, all that you've given me. I'm going to give a part of that. I'm going to worship you with everything you give me. He names the place. He changes the name from Luz to Bethel. And Bethel means the house of God. So after that, he heads out to Haran. Goes over here. This is about a 450-mile trip. He's on his way to Haran. And when he gets there, he stops by a well. Look at chapter 29, verse 1. Jacob continued on his journey, and he came to the land of the eastern people. I want to stop there. Continued on his journey in Hebrew means that he picked up his feet. And uh, Moses is saying as he writes this, there was, a, there was a new step in his feet. He had left as a, he had left as a fugitive. He had left with nothing. God met with him. God says, I'm going to be your God. God says, I'm going to protect you. And so he, there's, a, there's, a, there's a spring in his step as he moves on. Now, he's a man with a mission. He gets to Haran, 450 miles, not a short journey. 
And when he gets there, he goes out to a field and he sees a well. Uh, a well in that day in the fields, again, you had to have water to do anything. All the cities were built around water, just like they are today. And he goes into the uh, field and he sees a well, so it would be a well on the ground. And what they would do is they would get a flat rock and they would put over top of the well, they would, they would cut a hole in the middle of the rock, right? Then they would take a, a big boulder and they would roll onto that hole so that not everyone could get water from the well. So look at verse, got the, you got that picture? 29 verse 4. Jacob, uh, so when he gets there, there are, there are flocks, there are shepherds around the well. They would come and sit there. One guy couldn't uh, roll the rock away by himself, and so they would wait until two or three flocks got there so there was enough manpower to get the rock rolled away from the well so they could water their flock. Verse 4, so Jacob asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. And he said, do you know Laban? Uh, uh, that's his uncle, remember? Uh, Rebekah's brother, uh, Nahor, Nahor's grandson. Yes, we know him. Is he well? Uh, is he well? Is he alive? Is what uh, uh, he's asking. Yes, he is. And, and here comes his daughter Rachel uh, with the sheep. So Rachel is a shepherdess. Uh, that wasn't the norm, but it wasn't unusual. If a, if, a, if a man did not have sons, he might have his youngest daughter be a shepherdess, and that's uh, what she was doing. Now, for some reason, we've seen. We're going to see today Jacob's personality. Um, we saw it a bit in his deception. We're going to see it today. He, he's kind of brash. He, he's brass. He's bold. He's audacious. And we're going to see he's just met these shepherds, right? He's just got there. He asked them, do you know Laban? And his first interaction with them is to tell them that you guys are uh, wasting time and you're a little bit lazy. Look at verse 7. Look, he said, the sun's still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. What are you guys doing here? Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. That's pretty bold, isn't it, for just meeting them? We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Again, we need more than one person to roll the stone away. And then we're going to water our sheep. While they're going back and forth... Rachel arrives with her father's flock. And, I mean, for Jacob, this is love at first sight. She is a, sh a shepherdess, so she's not veiled. He sees her. Uh, and, guys, what do you want to do when you want to impress that person you fell in love with, right? He starts feeling his oats. He's ready to impress. Now, remember, it took a few men to roll that stone away, right? unless you want to impress a girl. Look at verse 10. When Jacob saw Rachel's, Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and he rolled the stone from the mouth of the well by himself. And he watered her sheep. And then he does something else that is brass. Remember, she's unveiled. Normally, uh, men kissed men as a greeting, and you kissed your mother and your sisters, but you didn't kiss another woman. And if you did, you at least introduced yourself to them. 
Look at verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. And then he told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. He does it backwards. He kisses her. He's in love. And then he introduces himself. One commentator said this, kissing a family member or dear friend was common, including traditional greetings. That Jacob kissed her before identifying himself fits the picture we have come to know of this audacious man. Look at Rachel's response. She ran and told her father. Good for her. That's exactly what she should have done. Look at verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him, kissed him. He brought him to his home. And uh, there Jacob told him all these things. And Jacob said to him, you are my flesh and blood. In Hebrew, that's literally your bone. You are my bone and blood. But we use flesh and blood. And uh, it says Jacob told him all these things. You think maybe he may have left out uh, the that he lied to um, Esau and that he stole the birthright and some of those things that we don't always like to share when we're introducing ourselves to other people. He's there a month. You don't usually stay that long at someone's home in that day or in this day. He was there for um, a month and Laban says, you know what, you've been here a long time. We just can't sit around looking at Rachel all the time. You've got to do something. We've got to have an arrangement. You've got to pay for your keep. Look at verse 15. He said to him, just because you're, Laban said, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Uh, Jacob's been waiting for this moment. He's been thinking about this for a month. Now, remember, you normally gave a dowry, right? But what would, dow- what would, La- what would Jacob's dowry be? He was penniless. He left Canaan with nothing. He has absolutely nothing to give. So, he says... I know what I'll do. I'll work for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Much to his relief, Laban agreed. It's good news. Look at verse 20. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him. He was so in love. Just a few days. Because of his love for her. Now, seven years may seem like a few days when you're in love, right? But seven years is seven years. It's a long time. And you can almost hear Jacob beside himself, maybe a little frustrated, uh, impatient in this next verse. Most fathers wouldn't put up with this. Verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete. I want to go lie with her. It's pretty, pretty bold, isn't it? But he, that's the way he felt. And Laban says, all right. So they get the wedding week planned, and the wedding night came. And as would be the tradition, Laban brought his daughter like we walk bride down the aisle today. In that day, it was even more vivid that the... the The father would deliver the bride to the bridal chambers. She's covered from head to foot, veils over her face. It's at night. Go in uh, to a darkened tent, and there uh, Jacob and Laban's daughter consummate their marriage. And everything was great until when? Morning. 
Look at verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. Exclamation point. Not exactly what Jacob expected. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? You remember Jacob's name, what it means? He was grabbing the hill of Esau. And so they named him that, the one who grabs the hill, figuratively speaking, one who trips other people up, one who deceives people. And uh, now the deceiver has been deceived. We'll come back to that in a second. Look at verse 26. Well, Laban said, um, man, didn't I tell you? <laughs> we got this custom here. Did I forget to tell you that in those seven years you were working for me? We had this custom that um, you don't marry the younger daughter first, you marry the older one first. So finish the daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. The deceiver is really being deceived, didn't he? So finish the bridal week with Leah. Then you can have your second wife, Rachel. And then you can finish the seven years. That's what Jacob did. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. In um, chapter 29 and 30... We're going to see uh, really a mess. We're going to see the, the tension and jealousy and rivalry between uh, Leah and between Rachel. There's nothing pretty about the rest of the story. To, 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 put, it, to put it this way, it, it becomes a, a childbearing contest between these two daughters. Now, period of, periods of years go by, but we see this, this tension in the home. From this uh, painful situation, Leah being totally unloved and knows it and, and, and desperately l- desires and longs for love from Jacob. Rachel being loved but can't have children. We see this tension going back and forth. And this is what God uses to, to, to bring about the 12 tribes of Israel. God uses this family with their mess and their tension and the results of sin, the deception for deception, to bring to be the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's amazing how God always works through our mess, isn't it? So what we're going to do, real quick, is to go through the names of all the 12 tribes. Because in their names, the story is really told of the conflict going on in in this family. So you have your sermon notes. We're going to go through these quick. Uh, The first one is Reuben. Leah has Reuben. Chapter uh, 29, verse uh, 30. 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. The the name Reuben means he looked 
on my affliction. Leah knows that she is unloved by Jacob, but God has looked on her affliction, and she feels like maybe Jacob would love her now. Again, we're talking about children being born, so a year, a year and a half or two years between each of these. Next is Simeon. The Lord hears. Simeon, the Lord hears. So if you're taking notes, you can write it right here. Someone told me it looks like I put this in the wrong order so that Simeon goes right there. Everybody understand that? Good, because my kids told me that after the first service. So I got that covered. Got that family stuff covered. All right. Uh, Simeon is the next one. The Lord hears. Leah felt that the, that, that the Lord had heard she was unloved, and, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, and she is, he is hearing her cry. The next is Levi. Levi means to join. She says, now I've got three sons. Finally, God has given me three sons. Surely, Jacob will love me now. Listen, hear, hear the, the desperateness. In her heart, she wants to be loved by Jacob. This is the family that, that births the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah is number four. Praise for the Lord. That's what that means. Praise for the Lord. Jacob doesn't love me, but at least God does. And I give him the praise for that. She praises the Lord for consoling her as the unloved wife. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God? God's the one who gives children. Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? And so Rachel said, I'll fix it. I'll give my maidservant to you so you can have children through her. That was Billa. The first one born was Dan. God has vindicated me. Rachel said, well, at least through my maidservant, God has vindicated me. The next one born was Naphtali. And that word means wrestling or struggle. Uh, Rachel says, I'm wrestling with my, with my sister. We're in this competition. There's jealousy. We're going after it. At that point, Leah stopped having children. And so she said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do the same thing Rachel's doing. So she gives Jacob her maidservant, Zilpah. And he has Gad through Zilpah. That means fortune. So Leah says, at least God has given me fortune through my maidservant. And then uh, they have Asher. It means happy or set straight. Uh, Rachel's maidservant had two sons, and now my maidservant has had two sons. God is setting this record straight. I, I, am, I am happy. Look at chapter 30, verse uh, 14. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out uh, into the fields, and, and he found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, give me some of those, um, give me some of your son's mandrakes. Mandrakes were thought to be then, and still today in some places, an aphrodisiac. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you also take away my son's mandrakes? Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Them going back and forth. He can sleep with you tonight. Uh, in return uh, for the mandrakes. Uh, you must sleep with him. Uh, so, so, she, so she goes out to the field. Leah does. She didn't even wait till he gets there. She goes out to the field. So when Jacob came from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrake. So he slept with her that night. And they have a child. So God allows Leah to become pregnant. God's teaching Rachel a lesson. 
Rachel, it's not the mandrakes. It's not some plant. It's not some mystical aphrodisiac. I'm the one who gives children. Leah, without the mandrakes, he blessed her. So Issachar is born. And Leah says, God has rewarded me. She may have been saying, God has rewarded me because I gave the mandrakes away. Or God has rewarded me because I let Zilpah go in and two children were born from her. And then Leah's had another child, Zebulun. That means to endow or honor or exalt. It was a, like a divine dowry from, from God. And again, she's hoping that her husband will finally love her and honor her. She has one more uh, child. It's a daughter, uh, Dinah. We'll talk about Dinah later on. And then look at verse chapter uh, 30, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. It wasn't he, that he forgot Rachel, but now he listened to her. He remembered her. He listened to her, and he opened her womb, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And she says, God has taken away my grace, my disgrace, and she named him Joseph, May the Lord add to me another son. It's interesting. The word Joseph means two things. First, it means it's an expression of joy. So she says, God, thank you a lot. But then it means, may he add. But keep giving me kids. It's amazing in the name, right? Thank you for that one, but don't stop. Give me some more kids. Uh, Since we're looking at the 12 tribes, I'm going to go ahead and give you the last child. We'll look at this later on in chapter 35. But she has one more child. And uh, unfortunately, she dies while she's having childbirth, while she's giving birth. And as she's dying, she gives birth. And in her dying breath, she names the child Ben-Onai, which means son of my trouble. But Jacob's there, and he says, I don't want to think of this child as son of my trouble. And he names him what? Benjamin. Benjamin, son of my right hand. And so those are the 12 tribes of Israel, born in a, wouldn't you agree, a a bit of a mess, tension and rivalry. Three lessons before we we close. One of the things we see in this passage is an issue that all of us need to work on, and it's the issue of of unresolved sin in our life. The the, the mess of this family was a result of Jacob's unresolved sin. Now, I want to be very clear as we go through this. All of us are sinners to the core, saved by grace. And all of us are going to sin. So, So I'm not talking about uh, the sins that happen like on your way out of the parking lot, I understand it gets pretty here at the South Hills. It's like uh, the first test of faith uh, after the service. And, uh, and so someone might cut you off or you might have to wait and you may say something you shouldn't say or honk or whatever. I've heard those things happening, right? You need to deal with that. But that's not the sins I'm talking about. Uh, the sin we want to talk about here are, are blatant acts of sin, ongoing sin, sin that maybe we enjoy a little bit, sin that we, we don't want to deal with in our life. For, for Jacob, what, what was it? 
It was, just, it was just deception. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. It was this characteristic that went with him. He didn't deal with it until God dealt with it. So here's the first lesson. Unresolved sin always carries consequences. The parking lot type of sins, they carry consequences. You just have to say, hey, man, I'm really sorry. I blew it. I got impatient. I honked at you. Please forgive me. Unresolved sins, they, they go with us. And, and God has to get our attention. Numbers 32, 23, you may be sure your sin will find you out. It may not be today or tomorrow, but it's going to find you out. Secret sins. Hidden sins. Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. A man reaps what he says. The, the nanosecond that that Jacob woke up and saw Leah. What do you think went through his mind? This must have been the way Esau felt. I have been tricked. I've been lied to. I've been deceived. And God had to say, yeah, you're a deceiver. Now you know what it feels like. One uh, commentary written by a guy named Alan Ross, who I think if you like to study Genesis, you need to get that commentary. Listen to what he says. If we use the story of Jacob as a sample, we may say that when we are thrown together with people who are crafty, arrogant, deceitful, contentious, gossipy, or a host of other human frailties, before we lament that we have to be around such people, we perhaps should take a long look at ourselves. It may be that some of those traits, it, char- it may be some of those traits characterize us and that other people may be a part of God's means of disciplining us. That's kind of a tough thought, isn't it? Those people that irritate you and that just drive you crazy, it may be God puts them in your life so that you see this mirror into your soul and you're doing the same types of stuff. That's what Jacob, that's what God did to Jacob. How could God best get Jacob's attention? By having a sin committed against him, a sin that he knew a lot about. And when Jacob looked at Laban, he looked at himself. Sin always carries consequences. First Timothy 5, 24 says this, The sins of some are, some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. Sin always has consequences. Second lesson. Blessing and consequences for unresolved sin are not mutually exclusive. Here's a point I want to try to make in this. Jacob has to run for his life because of what he has done to his family, right? Yeah, his mom's in on it. But he has to leave. He leaves alone. He leaves by himself. Then God meets him. God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. 
even, even with your, your shortcoming, even with your sin, I'm going to bless you. And God does bless him. And then he takes him and they find uh, Laban. And then he falls in love with Rachel. There's great blessing. And then, and then he has children. Great blessing. So, so blessing and, and, and discipline are not always mutually exclusive. And I say that because some of you may be saying, well, time out. Yeah, you say that. But I got this hidden sin. I got this secret sin. No one else knows about it. I'm not hurting anyone. And by the way, I just got a promotion at work last week. Yeah, I got this thing going on. Yeah, I know it's a sin. I know I need to deal with it. But by the way, I just met the, 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 the person God has for me. Or, yeah, I got this sin going on, but, but man, God's blessing my children. Yeah, he'll do that. But don't let his blessings lull you to sleep in the areas you need to deal with. And we all, got, we all have those areas. Does that make sense? Jacob got great blessings along the way. But man, he also had the consequences. When you look at Jacob's life, it was miserable. Two wives, one he didn't want, tension at home. Rachel saying, give me children or I'll die. Jacob had to say, man, this is killing me. There was great blessing in that. But there are also consequences to sin. So when we're living in secret sin or hidden sin, don't think because God's blessing you that that's an endorsement of your sin. Last one. Why does God discipline us in the first place? Why didn't he just say, Jacob, go for it? No, 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 no discipline on that deception stuff. You know, I was going to do that anyway. You just kind of beat me to the punch. I, w- I was going to have, uh, I was gonna have uh, Esau serve um, uh, you anyway. Why didn't God let it go? Well, he didn't let it go for the same reason We don't let our children play in the street or misbehave because we love them too much to allow them to continue in the danger of sin. That's the last one. Unresolved sin carries consequences because God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to play in the street. He does not want you to continue on with that hidden sin. It's going to come to God, men and women, it's going to come to light. And then it's going to be messy. He wants you to deal with it. You can deal with it. Ask his forgiveness. Ask him to give you the desire to deal with it. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Uh, let me, let me, well, I'll read it all. In your struggle against sin, you have not uh, resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because God disciplines the one he what? He loves you. He loves me. That's why he disciplines me. Endure hardship. The Lord... uh, uh, he disciplines those, the one he loves, and he, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And your hardships as discipline, God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Rhetorical question. All children who are loved by their father are disciplined by their father. 
If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. The, the, the point of the story that we want to draw from it is this. Jacob saw a tremendous blessing. From it, the, the 12 tribes of Israel are born. The nation is going to start. And God disciplines unresolved sin. In the midst of that tremendous blessing, there was pain and jealousy and con- competition and contention all the way through their lives. So my encouragement to you is you, you, can, you can stop that. You can thwart that by coming clean and saying, God, i got to deal with this. Maybe some of those people you've been putting in my life that I've had so much impatience with, could it be you are the sovereign? You are the sovereign. He is the sovereign God after all, isn't he? Could it be you've put them in my life and frustrated me to the point just so I look in a mirror and see how much I'm frustrating other people. You let me see the sin in someone else's life so that I can see the sin in my own. And today I want to deal with it. Now I get it. Sometimes you've been involved, we've been involved in unresolved sin so long. You know, we'd be, if we're honest, we don't want to let it go. That's why it's a secret sin. That's why it's a hidden sin. But the warning from this passage is, sooner or later, sooner or later, it's going to blow up. It's going to be a mess. So, so deal with it before it blows up. Ask God for His forgiveness. Ask God to change your heart in that area. Ask God to put around you the people who will encourage you on that journey.